Em, can you believe we are in our third season of Interview Boss? Not really. It's crazy. But that means there are over 90 episodes we've made. (gasps) Oh my God. Scrolling through all of our episode titles, you might miss an episode that actually is exactly what you're looking for. Yes, we get so many messages of people asking us to do an episode on something and we're like, we already have. So we've put together playlists to help you find the episodes that are best suited to you. If you're applying for jobs, we have episodes about resumes, cover letters and job ads. If you've been offered your dream job, we have episodes on resigning, exit interviews and how to impress at your new company. Yes, and we even have a playlist for if you have an interview like tomorrow and you need just our most recommended episodes, just the ones you really need between now and then. Exactly. It is all there for you. You can browse by category. Check out the playlist at www.interviewboss.com.au forward slash podcast. And that's what I said. I said, well, if I were to peel back three layers of an onion, the first thing you'd notice is that I'm crying because I cry (laughs) all the time when I chop onions. But I turned it into this notion of, you know, this represents that I bring myself fully to my job. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Interview Boss. My name is Emma, in case you've forgotten, and I'm a radio journalist who's teamed up with my sister to give you advice, inspiration, and support when you're looking for that new job. Sarah is a HR and recruitment professional, and together we're excited to give you all the tips, tricks, and behind-the-scenes knowledge to help you excel in your career. Oh, mixed it up there at the end. You caught me off guard. Keeping people on their toes. Yes, indeed we are. (laughs) And who are we giving a big fat shoot your shot shout out to in this very awesome episode? To Caro, who bought us 20 coffees all the way (gasps) from Canada. This nearly made me cry. It was so, so sweet. And this was also in our lull period where we really weren't getting many messages or it's the festive season. And when this came through, it was just such a blessing. I thought like nobody's interviewing at the moment. Like what the hell? Yeah. Anyway, Caro said, hello there. Just a note and 20 coffees to say thank you is just not enough. Caro, it is well and truly enough. I'm an almost 40-year-old with two university degrees and six years of C-suite level management experience. What does C-suite mean? Like executive, like CEO, C, you know, like C. Uh, Interesting. You learn something new every day. There you go. So they're a top doggy. I don't think I'm your target audience, but you helped me just the same. Your podcast on Spotify supported my interview process as I transitioned from self-employed management consultant to regional director of a national not-for-profit. I felt rusty like an imposter and needed guidance. As someone who was accustomed to providing this support to others, it felt uncomfortable at first, but your professional, warm, down-to-earth coaching was just what I needed on dog walks and in the car when driving to work. Thank you so much for helping me for free at a time that I really needed it. Sending love from Turtle Island. Thank you for all that you do. Sincerely, Caro. That's so nice. Turtle Island. Hello. How incredible is that? The only thing I didn't love about that is I'm not your target audience. Everyone's our target audience. If you've got an interview, if you're applying for jobs, then you are our target audience. If you're entry level, if you're a top doggy C-suite. Yeah, I get that probably most of our examples And the majority of our audience is probably not C-suite. But I love that 
Caro stepped out of that comfort zone and went, no, no, sometimes I need help. And we've got so many messages from people who literally work in recruitment and HR. Like I need my own advice when I go for a job. Like it's not something that you just suddenly don't need help with. So I love that shout out and thank you so much. Now, this week's episode is so, so, so amazing. Sarah catches up with an incredible guest. Unfortunately, I was unable to make it, but Sarah steered the ship for us and did a great job. Now, Sarah, tell us who you spoke to. I spoke to Matt Abrahams and I'm about to go into the whole background of who he is and what that covers or whatever. But Em, you had to listen to our chat. What were your favourite parts? Our listeners are about to hear this conversation. What are your amazing takeaways? Oh, I loved how he said that you need to remember in interviews that you're there for a reason. I think this is such an amazing thing to remember. Psychology hack You got there because someone on the team decided you were skilled enough, you could do this job and we need to meet you. And if that isn't a confidence boost, I don't know what is. And it also goes for other situations too. Like when you're in a meeting, we talked a lot about communicating in other different types of situations at work. And if you're in that meeting or you're presenting, you are also doing that for a reason as well. You've been asked to, you've been invited to, you're there because someone trusts you. He also validated the science of our butt-clenching tip, which I am just a sucker for science. I love anything rooted in science. And this was sort of anecdotal and we put it out there and said, let us know if it works. And he gave the science of why that works. And I just thought that was absolutely incredible. It's been like given the tick of approval of like a proper researcher telling us exactly how it works. So absolutely. And also I got a bit of a laugh reaction out of him by talking about butts on a very professional podcast. So there you go. Yes, that was a hoot. A hoot? (laughs) This aligns so much with our message is that he said it's okay to speak informally in interviews using normal human language. And we're always going on about this, about how people fall into the trap of on resumes and in interviews trying to sound really jargony and smart and like looking up words in the thesaurus and kind of word vomiting. And yeah, my favorite part was how he said, speak normally. That's the way humans communicate. Totally. I've really felt very validated after this conversation. Me too. I was like, we're on the right path. Everything we're doing is endorsed. We have been giving perfect advice, just putting it out there. It's all been ticked. You already know that we give great advice, but now it's been backed up by an independent expert. So even more reason (laughs) to just be obsessed with everything we say. I also think this is a great episode to listen to, regardless of whether you're in the job search or not. I think you can take a lot from it just for your career in general. Oh, in life, just being a human. And then go and follow Matt and his content and all of that stuff. So without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. Here's Matt and Sarah. Enjoy. Our guest today is Matt Abrahams. He was the author of the game-changing book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. Matt isn't just about delivering a message. He's about crafting a narrative that lands jobs, open doors, and builds connections. As a lecturer at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, he imparts strategies that go beyond words. They're the keys to unlocking opportunities. In today's episode, we're using Matt's expertise and applying it to the world of job hunting, whether it's acing that unexpected question in the interview or making a lasting impression at work, Matt believes 
anyone can learn to be a brilliant communicator. Matt is also the host of an incredible podcast, Think Fast, Talk Smart, where he speaks with experts in their fields to discuss real-world communication strategies. Matt's podcast is very practical and each episode provides tools, techniques and best practices to help you communicate more effectively. So whether you are actively job hunting or not, this is an episode not to miss. Welcome to the show, Matt. I am thrilled to be with you and thank you for such a kind introduction. It's very well deserving. I've been a fan of your podcast since I came across it. It's so practical and that is something that resonates a lot with us here. We like to leave people with things that they can actually do. So I'm excited to get into it. So I'd love to start off by sharing with our listeners an example that you gave in your book where you had an interview with a CEO and he asked you what we would kind of refer to as a curly question. And I'd love it if you could share with our listeners how that went and how you felt in that moment. Wow. Thank you for taking me back there. So I was interviewing for a job to run a learning and development training for a software company. I had managed through the gauntlet. I was interviewed by several people and this was the final interview. And I was interviewing with the CEO. He prided himself at that time. We were still relatively small. I'll give you the end of the story. I was hired. I was employee number 99. And at that time he was still interviewing everybody. I enter the room and he's already there, which was shocking to me because usually my experience was that the senior leader comes in a little late, a little harried and hurried, but he was there waiting for me, looking at my resume when I showed up. And you kind of didn't then have that moment to like sit and gather your thoughts. And like, before you went in, it was like, you're straight into the interview. Absolutely. Jumped right into the interview. And so I'm sitting there, I come in, I sit down, he looks at me, looks at the resume, looks at me and said, if I were to peel back an onion, what would I find on the third layer? And oh my goodness, my heart started beating, my brow started sweating. I was like, what is this? I was not expecting this question at all. So is he wanting you to be the onion and like peeling back your layers? Is that, is that what he's kind of getting at? Like the. Yeah. So I think what he's trying. Well, so later I I got to know him. He's a great guy. And he he said that he tries to just throw people off just to see how they handle (laughs) being under pressure because at that time. Anybody in a role at a small growing startup could find themselves under pressure. And so, so this was part of his thing and it certainly worked. So, you know, my immediate response was, how am I going to answer this? And what I had learned in all my years of, of schooling around communication and work in anxiety management was that you need to be present and you need to commit fully to whatever it is you say. And when I think about onions, I think about tears, crying. I cry when I chop onions. I'm very sensitive to that. And that's what I said. I said, well, if I were to peel back three layers of an onion, the first thing you'd notice is that I'm crying because I cry (laughs) all the time when I chop onions. But I turned it into this notion of, you know, this represents that I bring myself fully to my job. I bring my intellect, my experience and my emotions. And in the time I was being hired to run a team and I said, and it's very important to me to be bring a team together who can passionately work towards something, share their emotions and convictions. And if we have issues, we work through them. But it is through that shared passion and the comfort we have being our true selves at work that good things will happen. And halfway through, he started smiling. And later I asked him, I said, you know, what was that smile about? And he said, he is so tired of people saying, well, if you peeled back three layers, you'd find that I'm a hard worker or I, or I, I, <laughs> I, I try too hard or all that. And he said yeah. that I was one of the first who had actually really given a meaningful answer that came from the heart that that demonstrated something beyond just the trite response. And so thankfully, whew, 
it went well. But I tried to invoke what I teach people, which is pick something, commit to it, be authentic and true to yourself and see what happens. So that's how that went. And thankfully, it went well. I love that you can relate to a lot of our listeners out there who have been in interviews and had curly questions, maybe not as curly as that, but just something that they go, wow, I was not prepared for that. What am I going to do? And the panic kind of starts to set in. But what you just said there really reflects a lot of our advice in that situation, which is that they're not looking for a particular answer from you at all, actually. Like the CEO, I'm sure, didn't have anything particularly in mind that he was looking for you to say. It's just... I'm just going to see how you respond and kind of go from there. And just picking something and kind of sticking to it is definitely a great strategy. So I really love that. But I'd love to talk about that kind of initial reaction before your logical mind steps in of, oh no, what am I going to do? You talk a lot in your book about all of the different kind of anxieties that come up when people are kind of put on the spot like this and, you know, are in these moments, you know, like your book is kind of about when you're put on the spot. I'd love for you to share a couple of kind of things that people might experience in terms of symptoms that might come up for them in those moments. Yeah. So everybody responds to the anxiety around communication differently. What is typical is a rapid heart rate, a collision of ideas in our minds. Some of us get shaky. Some of us get dry mouth. I call this plumbing reversal. What's normally wet gets dry and what's normally dry gets wet. So you get dry mouth, but sweaty palms. And all of these again are normal and natural. Your body in these moments is experiencing threat. And as such, it's invoking the fight or flight response. It's normal and natural to get nervous in these circumstances. Those of us who study it believe it's built into us. It's part of of being human. And so what we need to do is we need to learn how to manage this anxiety. And I use the term manage very carefully. It is something that we need to work at and focus on. And through doing that, we can actually get better and more comfortable in these challenging situations. But helpful to know that it's a natural phenomenon. I mean, in my psychology studies, one of the kind of fundamental concepts I walked away with is a lot of the time when things are not quite right with our body or our brain, it's often something that is perfectly natural and a normal function that's just being applied in a slightly wrong scenario. And actually, that's how we are meant to respond you know, in the presence of a threat. All of those things used to be very helpful. They just happen to not be when you're in the context of wearing a suit in an interview room. I loved some of the strategies that you gave to kind of deal with some of these things. And I'd love it if you could talk us through the kind of temperature strategy for kind of regulating your body temperature. I really loved that one. Yes. I'm going to share three with you. First and best thing to do is to take deep belly breaths, the kind of breath that you would take if you've ever done Tai Chi or yoga or Qigong, where you really fill your lower abdomen. And what's most important is not the inhale, but the exhale. So before you walk into the interview room or before you click join to the interview Zoom, simply take a deep belly breath or two, have your exhale be twice as long as your inhale, and that will help you to calm down, to relax, and to feel more focused. Second, remind yourself that you are here because there is value you have to bring. Many of us feel very intimidated and nervous because we're not sure of what's going to happen in the moment. The reason you were brought in for an interview is because someone somewhere has identified that you have potential skills and experience that can help. And if we remind ourselves of that, we can cancel out a lot of the negative self-talk that gets going and can actually get in the way of us being successful in our interviews. So take a deep breath, 
Remind yourself you have value to bring to the circumstance. And then if you're like me and you turn red and you perspire, that's what happens for me when I get nervous. That's because your core body temperature is going up. Your heart is beating faster. Your blood vessels are tightening. So you have more blood going through tighter tubes. Your blood pressure goes up. It's like you're exercising. So you're getting hotter. So we need to cool yourself down. Holding something cold in the palms of your hand serves to cool your body down. The palms of your hand are thermoregulators for your body, just like your forehead or the back of your neck. If you've ever had a fever and you put a cold compress, in fact, All of your listeners on a cold morning who've ever held a warm cup of coffee or tea have felt it warms them up. We're just doing it in reverse. So several things we can do to manage some of those symptoms. I love that. And to make that really practical, I mean, you could, if you're feeling that while you're sitting there waiting, like after you've just kind of turned up to the office, you could ask where the bathroom is and go and quickly wash your hands. I think that'd be really helpful. And then we always talk about kind of the reverse favor effect of if someone does you a favor, they like you more. So when they ask if you'd like a glass of water, we recommend always saying yes. Yes. It's very helpful for lots of reasons, but also, you know, that favor effect. If we're trying to leverage a little bit of psychology, maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't. But that glass of water is also something you can hold during the interview to kind of help. But I also think bring in a bottle of water yourself and have it in your bag with you just in case they don't offer you that. You could then get that out yourself and sit it there. The online interview, though, is the best with stuff like this because you could have anything underneath the camera that they would have no idea that's there. You could have a fan, you could have whatever kind of set up to make sure that you were comfortable in that moment. I'm definitely one that gets very shaky, like it's the kind of heart racing and hands are shaking kind of thing. And I'm not sure whether you have come across this before, but when we were researching for our anxiety episode, we came across this tip that suggested that if you clench your butt cheeks secretly, that your hands will stop shaking. And at the time we put it in our episode and we thought, look, I've never been able to try it in the moment, but here's this tip. Somebody has to try it and tell us if it works. And hundreds of our listeners have come back to us and said it absolutely 100% works. So I don't know if you've come across that before, if you have any insight into how that works, but that's a listener favorite. They always say, I clenched my butt and it worked. And it gives them a little fun moment too of like, oh, I'm doing the thing. I want to make sure I'm getting this correctly. You're asking me a question about butts. And this is the yes, first. That's that exactly I've, right. This is the first. We are very serious. Of, yes, no, no. So this is actually based on some good academic research. So shaking comes from adrenaline. Adrenaline's purpose is to move you from threat to safety. So it's all about movement. So if you're giving a presentation, if you're giving a pitch, stepping towards your audience with a big, broad gesture helps you look more confident, and it gets rid of that jitteriness because you're taking movement. When you move, the adrenaline abates. The same thing with squeezing or tapping something. So uh, while I have not advised people to squeeze their butt cheek because <laughs> I have personally found when I see people squeezing their butt cheeks, their face, you get an interesting facial. So I don't know that I want people to see that, but I have, oh, no. I have coached people to squeeze their toes in their shoes. Yeah. Or you can take your hand if you're standing or sitting and you can simply squeeze your thumb against your finger. Nobody sees this. And what that does is it gives enough movement for the adrenaline to feel that it has done what its purpose is, which is to move you from threat to safety, and it stops the shaking. So if your audience can squeeze their butt cheeks without their face doing something weird, then go for it. Otherwise, squeeze your toes in your shoes or or hold on to something. Squeeze something, not another person, probably not appropriate, but 
do something that helps that shakiness go away. You are the first person ever to ask me a question that, that had a, a but involved. Thank you. I think the other reason it's really nice as well is that in that moment when people are shaking, they're able to go, oh, that's right, clench my butt. And there's a little funny moment that happens too in their brain. And I think that kind of takes away the the seriousness of the situation that they're able to go in their head like, oh, interview boss, I'm using one of their tools. And it's something a little bit lighthearted that brings them back to you know the reason why they're there. We actually also have an episode that's about 15 minutes long and it's titled, Listen to This Right Before You Walk Into Your Interview. Oh, I and there's love no that. real yeah. kind of advice. It's just kind of a little hype up. And it's basically that number two point that you talked about on, you know, there's a reason you're here. You're going to be amazing. Like you already have so much value to add, like giving people that moment of, you know, you can do this kind of thing and taking some deep breaths and all that kind of thing. So I think it's great to have that episode kind of be a little bit validated in, you know, people telling us why that works and why it's so popular. Hey, Job Hunters, big news. Our all-new course, Interview Academy, is live and ready to transform your interview game. It's all the strategies from Sarah's one-on-one coaching, but without the limited time slots. Yep, it takes you step-by-step-by-step through crafting your career story, coming up with your awesome best bits, and all the practice you need. And guess what? It's at a special launch price, never to be seen again. Get more information at interviewboss.com.au forward slash interview dash academy. It's linked in the show notes below. So another thing that I found really helpful was if you tend to talk too fast and as a result, I'm also someone who includes a lot of filler words when they do try and talk too fast. You had some really great advice for this and I've been thinking about it since I heard it and thinking I really need to practice this because this could be a game changer for someone who talks on a podcast. Luckily, we get to edit out most of our ums and ahs, but most people don't have that benefit. What's your strategy there for talking too fast? Well, so don't let people into the little secret that we edit out our ums and uhs. I get many people who say, Matt, it's amazing. You don't say um or ah a lot. And and I have worked on it. And so I will take credit that I have worked on it. But uh, a little editing happens every once in a while. First, if you are a fast talker, then you need to work on a couple things. One, our voice is a wind instrument. So the faster you breathe, the faster you'll speak. So if you can breathe lower and slower, that will help you a lot. Also, we sync up our gesturing rate with our speaking rate. So if you are a fast talker, I can almost guarantee you, you gesture quickly when you speak. And it's much harder to slow our speaking rate than it is our gesture rate. So if you slow down your gestures, and one great way to do it is just make them a little bigger, because the bigger they are, the longer it takes will slow you down. So those are some easy ways to slow yourself down, breathe lower and slower, gesture a little more slowly and broad. The way to eliminate ums and uhs, and by the way, elimination is not necessarily the goal. Most people speak with them. The thing is when they get distracting. So first and foremost, you have to become aware you're doing it. There are apps and tools that can help you be aware. There's some you can get for your phone. There's some that plug into virtual tools. And just knowing where and when you do them can be very insightful because you can't change something you don't know you're doing. So that's number one. And I think also just a disclaimer here, I want anyone who hasn't mastered just interviewing with content well to ignore this part of the episode, please. Fast forward. This is an advanced strategy and I don't want you to worry about these. If you're 
not even able to get out your answers properly. Like do that first and then we can worry about this. Very important caveat. Yes. Yeah. Like they don't really matter that much. Obviously they do. And if we want to perfect, you know, things, we can work on them, but I couldn't not give the tip. So I wanted to talk about it anyway, but just that disclaimer, if you come to me saying my main problem is that I say um too much, I don't believe you. Right, right, right. So the best way to eliminate ums is through breathing. You can only speak when you're pushing air out. Try. I mean, anybody can try it. You can try speaking while inhaling. It can't happen. You can only push air out to make sound. So if you train yourself at the end of your sentences to be completely out of breath, I must inhale before I can say something else. And in that inhalation, not only do I avoid saying, um, uh, or whatever, I also build in a pause and pauses are very helpful and natural in conversation. So this takes time to practice. But as I speak, I've learned that at the end of my sentences, I'm completely out of breath. I then start my next sentence and say something else, ending it completely out of breath. And I keep talking and you hear no filler words. So it is a breath training activity. The best way to practice it is reading out loud, because when I read out loud, I don't have to think of what to say, and I can pay attention to what's going on with the breath as I speak. So there are things you can do to manage your rate, to manage filler words. They take some practice, but you can and in fact should at some point begin to manage those. Fantastic. And I think that pause also gives you time to think about what you're going to say next, which I think is Part of where my filler words come from is that I know what I want to say, but I haven't quite articulated it. And that brief second feels somehow like it gives me time to reflect. And I think replacing it with a breath is going to be something that's a game changer. I can already feel it. Great. So that is kind of the really practical parts of, you know, the first part of your book. You talk about putting together then an anxiety management plan. So Talk us through a little bit about, you know, how that's going to help us in the moment when we're put on the spot. We can't obviously plan for being put on the spot because that's kind of, you know, the whole point of being put on the spot. Well, actually, I disagree. I think there's a lot we can do in advance to prepare for being in spontaneous situations. Yes. So, you know, when you go into a job interview, you know you're going to be asked questions. When you go to a meeting, you know it's likely somebody's going to ask you for feedback. When you go to a cocktail party, you know it's likely you're going to make small talk. So there are a lot of situations where we can say, hey, I'm going to be in a situation where spontaneity might happen. You know, I equate this to an athlete. Athletes do lots of drills and lots of practice. So when they get into the spontaneous moments of playing the game, they can respond well. And so there are things that we can do to help ourselves. One is certainly managing anxiety. And an anxiety management plan is nothing more than a combination of techniques that we believe will help us to be more confident. And everybody is different. The very first book I wrote was called Speaking Up Without Freaking Out. And it was a book that had 50 anxiety management techniques in it based on research. And I expect only three to five to work for any one person. So the challenge is is to find what works for you. Maybe it's deep breathing. Maybe it's reminding you that there's value for you to bring. Hold something cold, myriad other techniques. That in and of themselves is your plan. And you practice that plan to help you feel more comfortable and confident when you go into these circumstances. And by doing so, just knowing you have a plan helps you feel better because you know there's something you can do. Yeah. And you can kind of have that feeling of like, oh, this is what I've prepared for. I'm going to do the strategy. Like this feeling of there's something that I can fall back on. We talk about that a lot with kind of bringing in a notebook with you with some notes in it. The plan is not even really to use it. It's just 
the idea of knowing that you have something that's a backup that you can use, that you can go to if you need to, really takes away a lot of that panic of what if I go blank and then I have nothing to say and then what? We sit there in silence. You know that that's not going to happen because there is something that you're going to put in place. Exactly. So I really love that. Now, something that I really notice a lot when I'm doing interview prep sessions with people or we receive questions from listeners is people who are incredible communicators, they often have jobs where their job is to communicate regularly in meetings or deliver training or they're teaching or something. So they're excellent at explaining things and telling stories. But suddenly when they go into interview mode, I like to call it, they're like a whole nother person. They're trying to put on this kind of formal personality, speak in different words, and it makes them really stuck because they're thinking so much about the exact word choice and they can't actually get out the message of what they're trying to say or even tell the story about something that happened to them or something that they achieved. Can you tell us about what's going on there? I think you kind of referred to this as a, like a, a formal language trap that people can fall into. Yes. So many of us, when we're put on the spot or we want to show ourselves to be qualified or smart or credible on a, a particular topic, we actually use language that is much more formal and disconnecting than we normally do. There is research that says that conversational language is the language that is most easily digested and expected in a lot of circumstances. Now, there are certainly situations that require formal communication. And sometimes when people are interviewing for jobs, the jobs are very formal and you should accommodate the language. We need to be aware of the context and expectations. But Using language that is more common and comfortable is helpful. It's what we do with our friends. It's what we do with our colleagues. It can breed liking and can facilitate understanding. Now, you can take this to an extreme and get too casual, which would be advised against. But I challenge everybody to think about the words you use and the words you use matter. So you could say, if somebody says, share with me one of your skills, you could say, well, I'm expert at utilizing the most effective <laughs> tool. In, or you can say, I'm That's pretty- That's exactly it. And you like buzzworded the truth out of that sentence. I don't even know what you mean anymore. Exactly. And, it, and it's distancing. Instead of saying, hey, I'm pretty good at doing this, or this is a skill I really think is important, right? So if we can make these things more conversational, it's helpful. So dial that back. Interviews are, it's a high stakes situation and sometimes they're very formal, but even in those circumstances, the language you use can really make a difference. Yeah. And also it just, particularly when you're not able to add that formality in without losing the message. I think it's one of those kind of advanced techniques we talked about with the ums and ahs. If you've nailed delivering your message then you can dial up the different words you'd like to use if that's something that you feel is appropriate to the context or something you'd like to do. But if you're struggling to get your message across and you're feeling like your answers aren't coming out right or you're getting really stuck when you're having to talk to colleagues or explain something to your boss, I think go back to that natural language. You're much more likely to be understood. And ultimately, that's the goal of the whole situation. If people don't understand what the point of what you're saying is, it doesn't matter how formal or how casual you are. So I think one of the other things people struggle a little bit with is we talk about preparing your stories and your examples to come into the interview with an idea of what you might talk about. And then you're able to adapt on the go with what question you receive and what story you'd like to tell. But you've already got some examples and some situations ready. We call them best bits. And 
something that people really struggle with is kind of distilling often years of work experience. I think some of the examples that you've given on your podcast was a thesis that someone might have written. They're trying to distill all of that down into an answer that they might need to give to defend that or to tell a story about how that went. Can you talk to us a bit about how do we distill these long projects or huge achievements into something really succinct? I think the more technical you are at your job, the harder this can be sometimes. You're absolutely right. And the challenge here is to remind yourself that the goal is to equip your interviewer with enough detail that they understand what you're saying, see the value in it, and most importantly, can reiterate that information to others. As we well know, the person you interview with is rarely the person who says, yes, you're hired. They have to go back and talk with others, have a discussion. If you can equip them to easily tell or retell your stories, what it is the value you bring, then you have been successful. And the best way to do that is to package up your answers in a clear, concise way. If all you do is itemize a lot of things or get too detailed, you're not helping them. You're actually working against yourself. My mother has this wonderful saying, I love it. And I try to live my life by it. Tell me the time, don't build me the clock. And if we can all be time tellers, it will help. And now if somebody wants to know more detail, they'll ask a follow-up question. So remind yourself, you have to say what's relevant and impactful for your audience, add enough detail so they understand it, and then move on. So I like to leverage structure. Structure for me helps. It helps me package things up. So I have a three-question structure that I think is really powerful. What? So what? Now what? So if I'm summarizing some work experience, some academic research I did, something of the nature, what is it about? Why is it important to the person I'm talking to here, the interviewer? And then the now what is, what does it mean relative to the job I'm in? So for example, let's say you're trying to hire me to be a professor of communication, something somebody else decided to hire me for several years ago. And you might say, hey, tell me a little bit about your research and how you might fit in in our department. Well, I could go all academic on you, right? I, I, I'd squeeze my butt and I wouldn't shake and I would be good to go. But instead... What I might say is something like, my whole academic career has been focused on enabling students to be better able to communicate in both planned and spontaneous communication. What this means is if you hire me, I'm going to be able to help up-level your students' abilities to communicate. I would come in and start right away by understanding the programs you offer, and then I would see where my experience could plug in to help expedite the goals you have. That's what, so what, now what, packaging the information up without going into all the details that might be too much. So thinking about it in terms of tell the time, don't build the clock and leverage a structure like what, so what, now what can be incredibly helpful. Yep. And then they might ask a follow-up question like, what kind of programs have you built that fit in with and how do they link to the department's goals? And then you can kind of elaborate on that. Yeah. Fantastic. So I think that's a really great structure for people and it links really well to what we talk about with situation, what I did, end result. Everybody uses their different star, car, whatever you want to call it, it's all the same. We're not precious about our labels for things. Whatever works for you, whatever questions resonate, great. Use a structure. It's going to be very helpful. We also use similar questions when it comes to resume bullet points as well. We talk about guess what, prove it, so what. Again, trying to frame it so that you can think about not just saying the what, but why did it matter? 
matter? Why was it important that you approved invoices? Why did that impact on the organization at all? Oh, to make sure that payments went to suppliers and we kept those relationships. Great. Like that's much more impactful than bullet pointing just what your responsibilities were. Fantastic. Well, one of the things that I've been really reflecting on and trying to help people with that I don't think we've really covered much on the podcast so far is those kind of in-between moments in the job search process or even just in the work process of that small talk, building relationships. People want to work with someone that they like and it can often be really hard in kind of spontaneous moments to not just end up talking about the weather or, oh, how nice is this office building or generic things that are just not actually building any connection. Do you have any kind of takeaways or tips for us on being a little bit better at small talk in those situations, even if it was maybe a networking situation, something where we can connect with people a little bit better? So first, small talk gets a bad rap. Lots of great things can happen during small talk. You can connect with somebody, learn from something, begin to collaborate, build trust and, and foster relationships. In fact, I challenge people to think about their friendship network and most friendships start through some kind of small talk. So there's a lot of value in it. I like trying to find things that are common and connections that we have. So if we go to a corporate conference, I might talk about, did you notice or what are your thoughts about what a keynote speaker said? Some shared experience that we have. I might ask a question about something that's relevant to what's going on in the room or in the world today. The idea is, and this, this came from a guest on my podcast. Her name's Rachel Greenwald. Fantastic, interesting person. She's an expert as an academic in interpersonal communication, but she's also a professional matchmaker. Fascinating person. Her advice to everybody is in small talk, be interested, not interesting. In other words, focus on being curious, asking questions. And from that, you make yourself more interesting and connected to the people you're talking to. So important to do that. I love that. I think I can really work on that. I read something a little while ago about the different types of people in conversations. And I don't know whether this is really backed by research, but I've done a lot of reflecting on myself in these kinds of conversations. And I think that I tend to communicate more with statements that provide people multiple opportunities to kind of follow up on as opposed to asking a direct question. Because I kind of feel like, well, I might be probing on something that they don't want to answer. So I've made a statement that gives them four things that they might like to follow the conversation up on, but then other people are more kind of question-based. So is that something that's kind of backed by research, this kind of different ways of talking? So there are certainly, there are people who make declarative statements, people who ask questions. And what I think is most important is to be able to be comfortable doing both. Because in certain situations, in certain times and conversations, a well-placed question can serve you well. But at the same time, not asking a question and being more declarative, that can also benefit. So we have to be able to be flexible to hinge between those two different types. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's potentially where I've sometimes felt the most uncomfortable in a situation is where someone is a bit of a question person and I felt like I can't get out of being the answerer and I feel stuck. Like, I don't want to ask you questions back, but you keep following me up and it's not really, you know, we haven't kind of hit on something that's working. So yeah, I think being flexible works really well. One thing I've tried to use a little bit in my kind of considerations with small talk is trying to prep something interesting that you'd like to talk about. So even if it's that you've got plans for the weekend, you're about to go on holiday, you've just come back from holiday, something about what's going on in the world or the city or the life that you'd like to maybe mention that's a little bit more than just the daily kind of grind or even something you witnessed or experienced, 
think about that story and do a tiny little bit of reflection on how you might talk about that. And you can just have that to go, if anything comes up that's relevant, oh, I can tell this little anecdote or example. And it feels a bit weird to be like preparing your small talk, but I think that often gives us the opportunity to be better conversationalists. I agree. I think going in with some ideas, but being flexible if they're not appropriate or you need to deviate from them for sure. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. This has been so valuable for our audience. Is there any last little piece of advice that you'd give for people when it comes to interviews, job search, work, anything that you'd like to leave? Absolutely. We need to practice so you can get better at any type of communication, including job interviews, but you need to take time to practice. You can't just think it. You actually have to practice speaking. You have to get feedback from others. The only way you get better at communication is the way you get better at anything. Repetition, reflection, and feedback. You need to practice. You need to think about what's working and what's not working, and you need to get feedback from others. If you do those things, you'll be better placed to do well in your communication. Incredible. Growth mindsets everywhere. Fantastic. Well, we will share a link in the show notes to Mac's book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. We'll also grab a link to Speaking Up Without Freaking Out because those 50 anxiety tips sound amazing and the wonderful podcast as well. So make sure you check it out. Thank you so much for being with us today, Matt. We really appreciate it. Totally enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All the best. Thanks so much for listening to Interview Boss. If you like hearing the sound of our voices, hit that follow button in Apple or Spotify, or better yet, tell someone else about the show. That's how we can hit the charts so we can have even more awesome guests and help even more people. For more advice, inspiration, and a supportive community, check us out on Instagram at Interview Boss. We've been your job search besties and helped you in some way. There's a cool way you can support the show. Shout us a virtual coffee. We get a huge kick out of reading all of your success stories. Head to buymeacoffee.com forward slash interview boss and shout us a cuppa. If you keep us caffeinated, we can keep the content coming. <laughs>